if I am committed to seeing reality in a certain way, reality changes because I've shifted, right? So when some person sees adversity, some people are victimized by it. And I can't believe this is happening. It shouldn't be happening. The cynical crowd. And they'll say that's reality. And then here comes somebody that says, hey, this is really hard. The margins are tighter than ever. You got to work twice as hard. And this is a huge opportunity for us. Now they're going to be pegged as somebody that's like pie in the sky. Challenging times are coming. Are you thinking about how you're going to lead people through these tough times? Hello, my friends. My name is Chad, and this is the Naked Leadership Podcast, High Stakes Conversations for Relentless Company Founders. My co-hosts and I have over six decades of combined experience in leadership coaching, and this podcast is where we explore it all. There is no conversation too risky. This week, Adrian, Dan, and I sit down to chat about the state of the financial and business market and what challenges this is going to create for founders. We talk about all the potential that exists in a downward market and how we can be conscious about our leadership in these times. Towards the end, Dan gives three really powerful and actionable ways that we can show up for our people that will create results even in the face of the challenge. Let's jump in. Adrian, Dan, it's good to be with you. Hey. Good to be here. Good to be here, bub. Hey, um, uh, wanted to have a conversation with both of you uh, in the context of current events, what's currently happening in the world around us, namely a lot of people are experiencing a downward market, um, both in sales and uh, the their teams and in lots of different aspects. There's a lot of weird things going on uh, in the market. So when I say the market, just the way that people are interacting with their products and their uh uh, their ability to sell it. And um, so this can pose some new challenges in the face of, you know, in the, from the perspective of the leadership. And um, there's so much opportunity here uh, that I want to talk about because, you know, Dan, even as before we pushed record, we were talking about, you know, there's always an upside to a down market. And yeah. it's our thinking, it's our perspective that, shows us or, or allows us to see that or not. And so in a, in an experience full of fear and, um, only seeing what's in the way that's going to prevent us since, from seeing the opportunity. So I wanted to, to, to take an opportunity to just talk about this. I know that there's probably a lot of people listening that are experiencing some semblance of this and, um, it's an opportunity to connect with where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say, it's when circumstances change. You're you know, you're up against what? Um, am I going to let those circumstances determine my way of being? Which is really crucial in my experience to finding possibility. Because if if I resist the circumstance, I'm going to push away from it. I'm going to get. I want to push away. I want to get away from it. Uh-huh. Versus drawing close to it and to understand and to see that as deeply as I possibly can. What's, what's working, what's not working, what am I not seeing? You know, it's like, what what's here? And particularly, what do I not want to see? That, that's It's an opportunity to really look into that, believing that there's going to be an opportunity will start to show itself. And if there is any opportunity, that's where it's going to be found. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. I'm going to just be right about what I can't do and how, you know, and I might as well, write my obituary before I even get started. Oh. Yeah, I have, a, 
Oh, go ahead, Adrian. I was just going to say, you know, step one towards anything is like to get out of denial. And, um, you know, I think denial, especially when it comes to these types of things, like these macro issues, we'll just call them because he's big. I mean, there's, there's something that's happening and there's a conversation about what's happening. Um, yeah. and, and, and it's, uh, there's always a flow. There's always like a, a momentum yes. to the conversation that becomes kind of the status quo, which is like a kind of a group attitudinal, uh, agreed upon group attitude about the thing. And that actually becomes the thing. And, you know, one way to stay in denial is to like re either complain about it or like reject it. Um, and that's just kind of dressed up versions of denial. So along with what you were saying, Dan, about getting close to it. I always think about, you know, it's, this word gratitude's funny. You know, I, I tend to make fun of it. I think there's, uh, um, people tend to make fun of it and it's like go pie in the sky type shit. It's not that it's really practical for me because I, when I think of gratitude, it's actually an attitude where wherever things are, that's where I'll start. It's an agreed upon starting place. So I'm I'm done rejecting reality. I'm actually willing to be here instead of being rejection of here. And when I think about a down market, a lot of people reject it and talk shit about it and blame whoever you want to blame about it. That's all just ways of denial. But if I start with gratitude, not like, yay, the, the market sucks. Yay. Not like that type of gratitude. More like, okay, here we are. Okay, what do we got here? Here we are. Here I am. There's no escaping here. I can either, but I can not be here and I could just hold on and then complain like everybody else and just have the losses that everybody else is going to have. Or I can have some form of, I guess, acceptance and gratitude go together. Acceptance that this is where I'm starting. And, um, you know, Dan, one of the things that you, that you said to me, this was three years ago and I was, this would be a very weird story, but it, it, it connects in. I remember go. being... I was I was at my son had just started kindergarten and I brought him to his first day of school and I realized I hadn't I think he didn't have a brand new lunchbox or backpack or something <laughs> like that and I called you afterwards you probably won't remember this I called you afterwards and I felt bad about it because I like as a dad fail you know like one of those moments where you're like single dadding and you didn't do the thing that the mom usually would have done, but now you're single dadding and blah, blah, blah. And I felt bad about it. And I was kind of maybe empathizing with him. And you just said to me, there's a, there's an advantage to that. I said, what? I said, he said, Oh no, no, I get it. But there's an advantage to that. Now he gets to like, and you went on and sold some of the possibilities where it's like, maybe he gets to see what other backpacks people have. And, and now he gets oh, to yeah. choose. Remember that? And yeah, I do. that, that tool of like, I wanted to feel bad or reject or, or, you know, um, not be happy about the situation. And you just had that simple thing. What's the hidden advantage to the bad news? And that's been so, a tool that it's is the that negotiator. I, it's the negotiator. Okay, I, know. What are we gonna... I know, but that, 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 I, that comes to mind immediately with this down market because down equals bad and bad equals bad and bad equals blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. There's all these there's a cascading effect of the bad instead of, but if you were to halt yourself and say, hold on a second, there are some advantages here. I wonder what they are. And you jump into a whole brand new inquiry that most people are unwilling to be in a conversation about. It takes courage to look at a challenge from a perspective of possibility. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the other thing is, 
this bad market's been with us for a while and people were just seeing it. You know, I, I remember two years ago, I started seeing it coming. And and I think, you know, when you see, if you the sooner you see it, the more quicker you can do something about it. Right. Right? You can, like, be in it and utilize it, leverage it. And even if I didn't see it up until now, well, now, now I see it. How can I leverage what, where I'm at, who I'm with? Like, this is where relationship comes in. Right. Right? Because you're going to find, I just, I don't know who I was talking to just before we got on this call. Oh, oh, I remember. One of my clients, I was on a coaching call, and they were saying how the market's getting tough. He, he, this guy's a fabrication shop. Uh, does stainless steel fabrication really you know, high-end stuff. And he was saying, you know, I realized it, get, it got tough and I could keep some of these guys on, but they just didn't want to, they didn't want to reduce their wages. They didn't want to increase whatever he was asking them to do. And some of them left. And it occurred to him that they left because he hadn't really made the connection with them when times were good where they would say, yeah, I like, I'm here to work. I get it. It's worth, I'd rather stay with this team than move on. I'd, I'd rather explore this with this team and get synergy together than move on by myself. And and I thought that was a really poignant aspect because I've been talking to him since I started coaching him a few months ago about his connection to his team and their connection to why they're there, what difference it makes, etc. And he was like, some of them want to stay, some of them want to go. I said, might be interesting to understand why the ones who are staying want to stay. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, what what is it that's generated their loyalty to the cause? Don't take it to you, but certainly your commitment to them, your commitment to the vision, your commitment to having that work out for them can make a huge difference here. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I know when things get tough, yeah. you know, it's interesting, this goes back to the kind of what the special forces do. They look to train people. They look for the people who turn toward the team during difficult times. Yeah. Now, you know, if, you know, well, what, what Dan, if I got to let some of the team go? Well, it's interesting because I just, I'm getting ready to launch this AI coach, this executive AI coach called Maven. And they had done, I they were using it as a test. They were testing it. And it was interesting because they they're talking about what do they do in a situation like this what do they do when they have people they have to let go and the ai gave them some ideas about how to approach it and they went and opened up the conversation with the person and he said the guy wrote back and said man the person i let go actually called me back that evening and said thank you i realized this was hard for you I also realized you had my best in mind because I really wasn't producing and I'd kind of come to the end. I was just doing, I was kind of a dead, I was dead in the water. I was just buying time there. And that wasn't any good for me or you. And I appreciate the way you went about it. And and it was, he said, you know, I got to, I'm making this decision because it's best, I believe, for not only me, but for the business and for you. And this is why. And I guess he had run this through the AI and it showed him ways to authentically talk about what was up and how he might be able to support the person in what's next as far as he could, etc. And just that concern helped the other person. So no matter what you're doing, 
there is a completion. It's like most of us, when we get up against tough conversations, whether it's to keep a team member or to let a team member go, rather than get authentic about what's going on there and your own struggle and what you see as good for the business and why it might be good for both of you or whatever the situation is, to explore that's a big deal. You got to slow down. Yeah. You got to be willing to live in the tension because there's going to be tension. Yeah. And you got to ask yourself, what is it I'm really up to here and for whom? Yeah. I, th- I think that's crucial because if I'm really there f- for the business and for other people in the business, which is the business, then I'm going to be much more human human in my approach. Yeah. Otherwise, if I'm not, if I'm just worried about protecting myself from looking bad or being judged or, you know, I'm going to go in there and just cut it loose. I'm going to probably create more resistance and trouble for myself and for the team than if I really stopped and took my time to understand what's wanted and needed, both for the business and the person I'm talking to, regardless of what direction I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. It brings back to mind a conversation with um, one of my clients. This was about probably a year ago. And he runs a significant part of Oppenheimer Group. Yeah. And we, we ended up having, this is when it all kind of kicked in, and they run the tech funding side of Oppenheimer. And the theme in our coaching work for that time was winter is coming. Yeah. And, you know, anytime this downturn, you know, it's a, the, the, the imagery in my mind is like, it's just pruning time. Yeah. And. Wait. No, go ahead. Oh, I'm just Absolutely. saying that. That in alignment with what you're saying, it's like, you know, it, it, adversity reveals loyalty, I would say. You yeah. know, whenever. What you're loyal to. Yeah. Right loyalty. on. Right on. Yeah. So like when it's tough, when times get tough, I mean, when anybody, when it's working, man, everybody gets away with whatever and they could be halfway committed and they're just like riding the wave. But when everything is a slow walk through mud. And you got to really earn every sale that you're doing. And you got to go the extra mile and meet in person instead of an email. And everything takes extra. It really reveals where someone's coming from and what they're loyal to. And if they're just here for the happy days or if they're here for the struggle. And it's pruning time. And that's, hey. a, I think, one of the big benefits. If I'm, if, if I'm going, if I'm in, a, if I'm in an industry that uh, it's, it's, you know, we're feeling the effects of the recession right now. The gift of that is it, it turns the lights on on your team. And you get to see oh, yeah. who people are, and you get to go vet all those conversations, which is your point to like that, that like slow down, connect with what's there, and it's really a time to kind of uh, either solidify the team that's there or select some people out, or it's like a perfect time to let people go. That's the benefit is you can let people go. Uh, those that like you've been halfway committed to, or you think they're not in, this is a perfect time to go do that. So you know the universe is conspiring to give you a great cover to go fire people yeah. that suck. So it's a perfect time to go do that. Um, yeah. Go ahead, bud. No, go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's what comes to mind is that it's a perfect opportunity to have some of these conversations that you don't, that like the, the, the good times don't provide such a perfect context for vetting uh, people's loyalty. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about when you were talking about that, Part of what I was thinking, what, what triggered for me was this, back to the Tony Robbins event I went to, and he could see, you know, he's, winter's coming is what is part of what he was talking about. Yeah. And he said, 
the, in the chant that we did, and it sounds goofy, but he pointed out, he said, look, don't, the, he, he talked about state story strategy. And he says, what's, what's dangerous is that we go to story and strategy before we get our state right, right? And the state is, how am I, when you take, like it was interesting, you say gratitude, it's like a great attitude. Uh-huh. Like, like I'm going to take an attitude here, not, <laughs> and I'm not talking about positive thinking. I'm just talking about, look, okay, this is what I got. And I know, I'm confident, I'm certain that I can find a way through this. And, and the chant was, I was made for winter. This is my season. I am a warrior, right? I will not be denied. That attitude, that state, creates a very different story when I engage with what's really there. Right on. So I'm not denying what's there, but I'm bringing to what's there a way of thinking that includes and embraces what's there for what's next. And I was thinking about either I'm going to have the conversation that are there, I'm either going to listen and connect with them and have them, or they're going to have me. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to end up reacting to them and then be on my heels. And now the down market's running me. Yeah. Instead of me standing in the the down market, opening possibility like a rock in a stream, creating an eddy behind it for others to stand with me. Yeah. Like that's what I'm, that's how I, that's the metaphor that goes through my head. Yeah. I mean, with the, that, I mean, cynical people love to say, hey, be realistic. They love to say, be realistic, you know, and it hits me. This is a little bit existential or whatever, but, you know, it, this is true. Like what you're talking about is true where if if I am if I am committed to seeing reality in a certain way, reality changes. Because I've shifted, right? So when some person sees adversity, some people are victimized by it, and I can't believe this is happening. It shouldn't be happening. Blah 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 blah. The cynical crowd, and they'll say that's reality. And then here comes somebody that says, "Hey, this is really hard. The margins are tighter than ever. You got to work twice as hard, and this is a huge opportunity for us." Now yeah. they're going to be pegged as somebody that's like pie in the sky. Yeah. They're going to be pegged. Oh, because- when, when somebody but- lays that on me. You know, be realistic. I'd say, yeah, who's? Yeah. Like, who's real? Who's real? Who's reality? Yeah, who's reality? Like, Elon Musk's reality? Or right. this person's reality? My reality? Your, what reality are you talking about? Because right certainly there is a reality, but, you yeah. know, we only see it dimly. We see it through our own attitude. And the same reality, one person sees no possibility. In the same reality, some other guy comes along, some gal who's innovative, takes the very thing we think is dog shit and turns it into fertilizer and grows a crop. Life is not fair. It's what you negotiate. Let me say that one more time. Life is not fair. It's what you negotiate. Now, that's an interesting thought. If that's true, it means that everything you have in life right now, the possessions, the relationships, the fitness, the mindset are all a product of your negotiations with others and yourself. And if that's true, wouldn't you want to be very clear on how you negotiate? What's effective and what's ineffective? What your strengths are and what your blind spots are? It is, after all, producing all the results in your life. So here's the deal. 
We put together a 15-question quiz that you can take in five minutes or less and find out exactly what your negotiation style is. The results of this quiz will give you insight into your strengths and blind spots in negotiation. It will also give you insight in how you can accentuate those strengths or compensate for the blind spots. Think for just one second with me all of the conversations you're having in your life. Think about compensation or advancement conversations with people on your team, discussing financial decisions with a partner, or just getting your kids to get their damn shoes on so that you can leave the house. All of these conversations are negotiations. This simple yet powerful tool has the potential to reinvent the way you get what you want in every aspect of life. Go to negotiation.takenewground.com right now or click the link in the description of this episode and find out what negotiation style you embody. You can thank us later. Now back to the show. Yeah. I've got a I've got a great experience from my own life that I want to share around what you're talking about, Dan. Do it. In, in 2008, uh, I had the brilliant idea to join everybody else that was making millions in real estate. Oh, um, in 2008, yeah. you got on the bandwagon. Yeah. Late, late, late 2007, early 2008, we were, uh, and I was Great 26. timing, Chad, great timing. Really, I'm, I'm impeccable with my timing, guys. <laughs> there was so much opportunity available. And, um, I was 27, 26, 27 at the time. And what I, the model that I created was basically we were going to build new properties, new homes. These would be like, at the time, they'd be like $600,000 houses. Um, probably at, at, at this recent high market, they would be closer to a million dollar houses. And so we, we got, we paired investors with the properties. So we went out, found investors that would put the properties in their name. And then we would split. Uh, then we would profit split with them. And we also bought a couple of apartment buildings that we were going to do some condo conversions on, some high end condo conversions, right? Oh, and so this is a huge shit sandwich. We keep going. <laughs> so we're we're on a we're sitting about thirty six units at the time, and I remember one morning waking up. It felt like one morning, right? Because now now I'm revealing my perspective, my my uh, experience of this, my reality of this, which was very different than a lot of other people's reality. A lot of other people saw this coming. I did not. I was over leveraged. We were way over leveraged on every property and completely undereducated. We had no idea what we were doing and felt like overnight woke up and values had split in half, sometimes into thirds, right? So, So most of the properties we were sitting on, especially the expensive houses were a third of the value that they were probably yeah. two, three weeks before. And and they we, we hadn't even finished construction on them yet. And I went into a deep, deep depression. And I just sat. I literally just sat and watched it happen, thinking that I had no options. Oh, man. Oh. Nothing that I could do. I was reactive. I was on my heels. A lot of the investors took a, took it over. Took, took their properties over and did with them what they could and tried to salvage. And uh, a lot of these people were friends and family of mine. It was a mess. And the oppor- the the interesting thing about it is, so I, I even remember, I remember specifically a couple of weeks sitting in my office, staring blankly at my computer screen. It, it wasn't even on, but just staring at it for hours 
and just Oof. sulking, depressed, <laughs> not knowing what to. I can remember. I, I, I have vivid, me. I'm going down right now. I, I know. I have vivid <laughs> memories, a uh, uh, vision, memories of Addison coming into my uh, into my office when she was little, two years old, three years old, asking me to play, and I'm just a blank shell of a human being. <laughs> and because you were so, being so real, yeah, because yeah, I was so, so connected real. to reality. Well, yeah. and what got me there, what I know, I realize now, what got me there is that I didn't want to look at what was really happening, right. right? I didn't, as you said, I didn't want to slow down and live in it. I resisted what was happening in the market. Yes. Just hoping that something would happen so we would be okay. Yes. Right? And then what's even more piercing to, in this to me is now that I look back, millionaires were made in that market, uh -huh. in real estate. Yeah. Uh -huh. no. Yeah. So much opportunity was abound. There was so much opportunity to to negotiate with banks and figure things out oh, with man, contractors. I, I negotiated almost four hundred thousand dollars of so I similar situation. And I had called it about a year before and we had a property we were developing a two and a half million dollar home on and the um uh, what was it? It's Four Seasons came and they wanted to buy this house while we were building it. And I told Eileen, let's sell it. The market's peaked. And the way I was watching was the level of of income to rent ratio was above 30%. I said, that's a bubble's going to burst. And she was convinced we we're going to make millions. So it was her deal and she wanted to stay with it. And I started to go where you went. I started getting really depressed. And then I, because she didn't want to sell it and neither did our partner in the deal. And that, that was her deal with our partner. So I asked her, I said, okay, I, I was laying in bed one night, kind of like where you were, I was about ready to pull the gun out. Um, just like jump out the window. And I thought to myself, well, what could I do if they don't sell that? Is there anything I can do? And, you know, we have a lot of equity in a couple of properties. So I convinced her to let me take the equity out of those homes because we had loans on, you know, we had lines of credit. I said, we got to do it now because they're going to close these lines of credit down as things tighten up. Yeah. And I wrote the last check and I got $250,000 in cash. That's that's what enabled me, Adrian, to move to LA because yeah, I shut down the ministry that I had was shutting down. It was splitting up my consulting firm we sold. And so I just took the money, went to LA, moved and used that money to start over. And, and afterwards, Eileen goes, why didn't you say something? And I said, I did, but honey, you were committed and it's okay it's all right yeah. we'll work it out right but i felt much better about it because she she got to do what she thought was working and she got to straighten that out she learned a ton and and we we came together rather than beat each other up and i think that's because we both sat down and said okay look this is what we got we're mm -hmm. gonna we're gonna give our house back we gave our home we built and lived in for nine years we ended up giving that back to the bank and negotiating debt I had in other properties and we worked our way through it and it took us a couple of years to get up but you know that's what happens when you don't get in front of the curve you got to then use wherever you're at to leverage out right yeah and you're you could have just stayed there you could just stay there and get run over by the steamroller or you can you know who wants to make hell worse <laughs> who wants to make a bad situation situation hell I don't yeah. that's what got me going was do I want to this is really bad and if I just sit here, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. what kind of motivated me, motivated me to go, okay, what else can I do? What's but interesting for me now, though, in this conversation, as I think about this topic of, of 
of the, or these ideas that we're discussing is I now I'm like salivating at the opportunity to go right like this stance of like okay I'm made for yep. the winter now yeah winter took me out once no way I'm is it go. gonna take me out this time I'm watching I'm aware I'm ready or I think I'm ready I'm doing what I can to be ready so I want to talk about that Dan you said in you know in these times we find out how prepared we were yeah. for these for these times I and, I'm you know I'm a bit of a I've been beat up a few times, so I, 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 do, I dollar cost average. I do a lot of things when times are good, so that when it, I, I live under my means. I do a lot of things to watch because I got hammered. I've been hammered twice now. My grandfather's funny three times. My grandfather told me when I was a kid, "You like the risky stuff. You're going to probably have to lose everything two or three times before you learn how to keep it." And unfortunately, that. Either I took it on and made it so, but it was so. And and this last few times, I I started doing things that could prepare me for the future. A lot of different things, but so that when things happened, I could take advantage of them because you can see cycles, right? So you just kind of try to ride the cycle. And like you, I got we got hammered on the back end of that last one. And you can see we have bubbles. Now we have, it's that everything is in a bubble right now, except for maybe gold and silver. It's like, it's like that. You got a businesses. You know, since COVID, the the rate of money, rate of you know, the rate of how fast the currency turns over has slowed way down. And and then of course we got inflation, and then we've got people decoupling from the dollar. There's all kinds of stuff affecting our economy. So, you know, this is just going to get darker for a while. So the idea is, okay, how can we, what 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 can we anticipate? Mm-hmm. In, in our business, in our family, in our community, what can I anticipate and prepare for? Or, and how much have I prepared? And how can I utilize that to secure my position in a way that I can move forward and keep building? You know, you know, at, when the time comes, I'll be able to take advantage of it. And where might that be? I don't know if people stop to do that because it's so painful. Yeah. I, I know for me, it's painful. It's like, yeah. wow, uh, glad I saved all this, but now this is at risk too. How yes. do I make this work? Where do I go? Who do I talk to? Am I willing to be humble enough to talk about what I've failed at? And how can I, who can I ask to support who might be good at it? Yeah. Like, how, what can I call on from my team? One of the biggest things I've been hearing from some of the leaders I lead, work with is their uh, unwillingness or resistance to ask for help. Yeah. Yeah, it it what comes up to me. We make this distinction a ton when it when, when we're working with clients around some kind of breakdown. We usually break things into a couple buckets, and usually fits in one of these two buckets. When there's any kind of breakdown, there's there's the competency breakdown, like so something didn't work, and so is the issue competency, like a skill base or a knowledge base or something like that. That's one bucket, uh, or is it attitudinal, and um, you know attitudinal, like someone's approach and who they are and how they are and their their attitude. So. You know, and almost everything fits in the attitudinal bucket. I mean, it might be competency based, but if it's competency based over any period of time, it's back to being attitudinal. Because if I, yeah. you know, if, if I if I miss if I didn't have the competency, you know, on, uh, sp- you know, spontaneously, but then it's a week later and I still don't have the competency. Now we're in attitudinal because I didn't want to learn it, didn't want to humble myself, didn't want to ask for help, didn't want to da da da. And same here, I just see the similar distinction between that maybe it's preparedness and readiness. 
And preparedness is is partially what you're talking about, which is like having my ducks in a row. I've done the work that needed to get done. I educated myself. Blah, blah, blah. That's preparedness. And readiness, though, is a willingness to do what it takes to meet the needs of the moment. And that's attitudinal. And so anybody, even if you're not prepared, you can always be mm-hmm. like ready yourself, which is actually you know, in that moment taking whatever action is necessary. So even if you, you know, it, it, even if you're not prepared and haven't prepared yourself for this, the only next thing is to say, great, how do I take no, action today that would right. actually I'll be proud of a year from now? Yeah. And that's readiness and be willing to put myself at stake, mm-hmm. humble myself, ask for help, ask the questions, get more educated and, you know, identify what, resources, all those types of things. And everybody clear about prices, you know, be right willing, you know, really get clear about the prices you're willing to pay. Right on. Because it's going to require some humility. It's going to require some sacrifice. It's going to, you know, you don't know. Be prepared. It's like getting married. Be prepared for what you weren't prepared for. Right on. Well, <laughs> at least attitudinally. Well, and what's interesting too is like, and in different environmental seasons, if you will, the people that you might have pegged as the problem people actually are the biggest resource. So, yeah. you know, the folks that are like looking out for trouble and always like very low risk tolerance and and like to kind of you know, be extremely deliberate in all their actions and whatever, those are the few people you call now. You might avoid them when you're trying to take the hill. And because they're kind of a pain in the ass or stick in the mud or blah, blah, blah. Um, but now is the time you call them and say, hey, where are you at about this? And they've, they've probably already thought through it. So it's like uh, all, uh, flipping some of my, you know, it, it might be worth it just to say, who do I, you know, who do I have judgments of or who do I naturally uh, avoid because of their slow nature? They're actually probably the ones that are most ready for the moment you're in. Yeah, <laughs> great. Dan, you you talk about it being painful, and I love this. I was in preparation for this conversation, just doing a little bit of research. I love this this quote from Seneca. He says, "What I advise you to do not to be unhappy before the crisis comes. Some things torment us more than they ought. Yeah. Some torment us before they ought, and some torment us when they ought not to torment us at all. We are in the habit of exaggerating or imagining or anticipating sorrow." Yeah. Well, you know, he's such a, you know, the whole stoic thing is powerful here because what really he's, you know, as I listen to that, what I hear is pay attention to how you pay attention. Like, look, whatever's going to happen, the biggest, the biggest challenge you have is what you're making up about it. You know, um, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, what's her name? Um, Oh, Barbara Streisand. Uh, yeah, Barbara Streisand. I was no. thinking of Eric Hoffer. Eric oh. Hoffer. He wrote a book called True Believer, and it's basically he's talking about how do these mass movements, like the Nazi movement and communist movement, all these, how do they take hold? And he says, you know, the quote he has is, "There is in us a tendency to locate the shaping forces of our existence outside of ourselves." So we all have this tendency to want to say what we're experiencing is because of what's outside of us. Yeah. And he, he says we use success and failure. They're unavoidably related to the state of things around us. At least we think this. Hence, people with a sense of fulfillment think it is a good world and would like to conserve it as it is 
while the frustrated favor radical change because they are frustrated with it. But ultimately, both are missing because it is what you, he's basically saying, it is what you make it to be. And I was listening to Jordan Peterson yesterday and he had this gal on, they were talking about attitude and its relationship to health. And there's interesting studies because she said in these studies that they've done nearly, you know, neurologically, the people that do well, it's like they said they took studies and they took somebody and they said, okay, look, we're going to do 100 jumping jacks. Let us know when you get tired. So the people start doing 100 jumping jacks. At about 67, they, let them, they all start letting them know. About two-thirds of the way, they let them know. They're good. They're tired. And then they take the, uh, the next group and they say, okay, we're going to do 200 jumping jacks. Let us know when you get tired. And they let them know at two-thirds, which is twice as much as the group before them. And they did this, and they did the same experiment in multiple with ballerinas, with pro athletes, with people who are pretty sedentary. And every time it was the same thing. People, there's something that like 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 fatigue is part of an attitude. Yes. Right? So if you, it's like the the when they put the rats in the water, and they they do the experiment seriously. They right when the rats were starting to drown, which is about five or ten, I think ten minutes in, they pulled them out. Right. Then they put them back in, and the next time they swam for six hours because they were anticipating being pulled out. And and it's a very similar thing as to the the fatigue. So a lot of us, if we can set ourselves up and we say, okay, this is going to be bigger than I thought it was. I'm actually setting the fatigue factor up. Like if I, I make it big, 10 exit, I'm going to be much more prepared resourceful, present, available to make something happen than if I expected it to be much less. Like yeah. I didn't want to anticipate the suffering. Yeah. I remember, I forget, I, what was, the, I forget what the exact percentage is, but I remember listening to, I think his name was Divine, was his last name, Mark Divine, probably. He's one of those Navy SEALs that went on to make a big brand around it. I forget what his company's called. Um, anyway, it'll come to me. But anyway, I remember... Hearing one of the X factors, which ties into this, on what makes the SEALs in particular that he was talking about exceptional. And they train them that when they think they're about to pass out, they're only at, it was either 40 or 60 percent. Yes. You know, I think it was 40 percent. Yeah. I think it's 40. It's like, yeah, when you think you're about to done, you're only 40 percent done. They just get that deep inside of them. So, you know, they have a handful of, beliefs like that or become mantras like that you know like pain is weakness leaving the body another one of those right so it that's just kind of what they believe it's like oh pain is weakness leaving the body therefore oh this is great look i'm getting stronger yeah. i'm in pain i'm getting stronger you know or it's like i'm about to die oh good i've got another 60 i can you know I've got another 60 percent reserve and it's similar with back to it's crazy how and it's just so true I mean, people can argue it if they want to but your attitude generates your reality. That's just it. It's, it's, I mean, there's things that are happening, but it's always the relatedness, we would call it, the relatedness to what's happening that generates my own experience and what I can, what I can make of the circumstances. Yeah, it, it's interesting you say that because when I was a kid, I remember 
pouting and running a number on my parents trying to get them to do something for me. Yeah. I remember sitting, we had these barrel chairs that were made out of I barrels. really want to see that, actually. I wish I wish we had some Dan Tacchini on childhood videos. So, I was pouting. in this barrel chair pouting because I didn't get my way. And I'm I'm rocking back and forth in the chair. My parents aren't paying attention. And I remember thinking to myself, I think I'm wasting my time. <laughs> so I remember thinking that. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I I can make this a lot worse, but is that what I really want? I remember thinking this because if I, I know my dad and I knew my mom real well. And if I made it worse, they would be they were gonna make a lot of room for me to be worse, but they ain't gonna give in. My mother was not giving in to <laughs> say anything. So I remember thinking to myself, do I really want to fight that battle? And I started thinking about how often do I use the situation to try to draw attention to myself? Like, that's a strategy that's in my body. I, oh, this is going bad. I can make this, I can make this to my advantage. I can be so depressed that people will pay attention to me. I can be so hurt that somebody will want to take care of me. I can limp. If I limp hard enough, someone will come over to take care of me. I remember thinking consciously those kinds of things going, and is that, and I remember thinking, do I really want that? Like, that was a big, I, I, I was about 12 years old, 11 years old. I remember thinking, this, do I really want that? And and I, I noticed, I think that that's what happens for people at times in crisis is how much of this crisis can I use for me? Mm-hmm. And I think that increases suffering rather than how can I stand in this crisis and make a difference for other people. And for you know, and you said some, Adrian. I think really is true. If you uh, well, is that rare. you know, he, really? I, well, it's true in my experience, and there's some research on this too. That you don't the people you least expect it tend to be very useful, powerful, influential during down times. And mm-hmm. there, are, if you read uh, Bo Lotto's book Deviate, in there he talks about studies that. During wartime, depression and suicide decrease. That those that that he, it's interesting because a lot there's a lot of you know cited research on this where people who had psychological issues ended up driving cabs, you know, driving thing, driving supplies here and there, working on the front line, helping in the hospital. All of a sudden, people who are normally sedate or being taken care of are now taking care of other people. And that depression, and, and it happens all the time in London when they were getting bombed. There's the research; people were less sick. There were there were the depression went down. You know, people started helping everywhere, and and that's that. It's interesting. That's a very it, you wouldn't think it would go that way. And and he talks about how the Nazis thought they were going to demoralize the English when in fact what happened they is that the English got stronger as they bombed them. In fact, they were out in the streets doing their business even under the threat of a raid. Yeah. Right? So yes. it's, you know, it, it's like, I think there's something deep down inside us that switches. And I think we go, you know what? That's enough of me using this for me. I'm going to get in there and do something about it. And that's when we see the character rise up. And I, I think, I have, I believe that, that you're gonna, we're going to see a lot of people like that. People who normally wouldn't, you'd see nothing out of them. Yeah. You know? Well, it, like it, it ties it ties into that, and we've spoken about this plenty. 
um, but not just us. You know, there's that there's that universal human story. The most captivating one is that like the hero's journey, and yeah. the 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 hero is revealed in times of difficulty. And I I, I think that's just programmed into us, you know, at a DNA level. That you know, I think about it all the time. You know, I coach my son's nine year old tackle football team, and I'm always telling the quarterback. And I was I was QB growing up. And he's this this quarterback's quite a little baby. He can't take much. He can't take a hit. He cries a lot. Anyway, drives me nuts. But I'm always telling him, and it never quite lands. But maybe someday it'll land where where it's like we're in a hard time. And I'm like, hey man, it's your huddle. You grab those boys by the face mask and you call them to the surface. I need you right now. This is your moment. I need you right now. I don't think he ever does it based on results. But there is a there is an aspect to us of like I think everybody is like to be. The person that can be counted on, you know, we 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 adore people that stand up in the face of adversity, and we cheer for them. Whether it's our sports person or the the guy on the silver screen or whatever, where it's like the guy defy, and we want to be that. I mean, it takes a lot of courage to be willing to stand and in, in the face of adversity. But I think all of us, at some core level, <laughs> want to be the one that you know that is called upon and we rise to the occasion and so it's just similar to all the things that you're saying it's like they, these are moments where the unlikely mm-hmm. hero can step up and, and be the one um if we're willing to see it if we're willing to call people into action yeah. the thing that's sticking out to me from this conversation has been so powerful for me is taking on the mantle of i was made for the winter uh-huh. yeah and I'm going to take that with me from this day forward. That was that's a huge gift. So I'm a warrior thank you for that. I will yep. not be denied. I will not be denied. <laughs> Make a move. Make a move. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Oh, I knew that was coming. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so much. So much uh, great stuff in this conversation. I really, really appreciate it. Of course, thank you, man. Thank you, man. All right. Bye, bye, everybody. Well, my friends, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. As a heads up, every Friday we post a Cliff Notes version of that week's conversation with all the highlights in under five minutes. Check that out for a quick and powerful reminder of the principles discussed. I hope this conversation has been valuable to you. If it has, the greatest compliment you could pay us is sharing it with somebody who could use it. Thanks so much for listening and until next week, bye-bye everybody.